You're listening to the Truth Proclaimed Podcast. My name is Aaron Owens, and I'm glad to be with you today. Today I want to talk about a topic that I feel is important to many people. Uh, I, I would hope that um, through listening to this episode that you would be able to identify with some of the things that we're going to talk about today. We all struggle with self-defeat. And I really wanted to focus on this and talk about this issue because self-defeat is one of the things that hinders most people. It's not about talent. It's not about ability. It's not always about education. Uh, You can have all of these things. But when you have a mindset of self-defeat, you can kind of cut off your success before it even gets started. We say things like, no matter what I endeavor to accomplish, it seems as if it ends in disappointment. And frankly, I'm, I'm sick of trying. I can't be the only one that ever, think, that ever thinks like this or even says this verbally. This, this way of thinking and this way of talking is a toxic mindset that reproduces failure in the lives of talented, gifted, and intelligent people. I myself am very familiar with this way of thinking and know all too well it impedes process. Not only does it impede our process, but it impedes our progress. If, if this speaks to you and you have allowed this thought to deter you from progressing as an individual, then I'm glad that you're listening today. This is a sign of a person that is incarcerated in a cell of self-defeat. I believe C.S. Lewis said that the gates of hell are locked from the inside. I wholeheartedly believe that there is nothing in creation that can hinder a person from being free but one's own unwillingness to either understand or utilize the great power that is organically inherent in all human beings. Now, the power of the mind is amazing. I'm reminded of a story because um, I'm, a, I'm a huge jazz fan, and one of my favorite jazz artists is a man named Art Tatum. And if you study jazz or if you're a fan of jazz, you would know that name. But Art Tatum is interesting because um, when asked about his ability as a virtuoso pianist, um, and that ability was, is even unrivaled even to this day. Now, when he was asked about the secret in which allowed him to develop such amazing dexterity and technique, he began to explain how as a child, his parent had an old player piano in the house. He began to learn to play the piano from this player piano. Now, what's interesting about this story is that the old player pianos played songs that were recorded by two pianists at a time. So Art Tatum learned to play the piano by watching four hands. So he learned how to play the piano as if he had four hands instead of two. Now, he didn't realize the limitations that confronted him. He didn't even know that what he was doing would be considered to be impossible by everyone. We are bound by our own self-limitations. And now there are many stories that we can tell Uh, many famous, many successful people that share similar stories. 
But the restrictions we put on ourselves and the limitations that we accept from others cause many people to be average when in fact we were called to be excellent. And when I, when I imagine this cell, I imagine a, a four walls enclosed, a dark cell, uh, an enclosed box filled with things that are oh so familiar, things that comfort us from time to time and take our minds off of our problems. Uh, they put us in a state of uh, hypnotization, causing us to be contented with mediocrity. Now, I won't name what these things are, but we all know in our own individual lives what we entertain ourselves with in order to allow ourselves to remain docile in an uncomfortable place. I believe there are many people that have a deep conviction that there is something better for them in their lives, but they have no idea how to obtain those aspirations. They cannot figure out how to break out of the mold of how their life operates at the current moment. And many times doubt and fear seem to smother any hope or ambition that tries to remain kindled within. You know how you get an idea. Say, I'm going to do this. Immediately what comes in? Doubt and fear. I can't do it. Uh, what if people won't like it? What if people won't appreciate what I'm doing? What if people won't take me seriously? So then it, it smothers the hope that we have and we constantly live in a state of mediocrity. A state of, of having dreams and ambitions but never having the courage to realize them. Now, I've always been under the persuasion that I myself have maintained an ambition and self-confidence about myself, that regardless of the circumstances of my life, I always believed that there was something better for me. I grew up with limited resources. Now, I don't say poor because I'm, I'm convinced that poor is simply a mindset. Poor is not based on economics. It is based on how we view life and how we view ourselves and others. So I say I had limited resources. However, I, I, I've never conceded to the idea that I would remain with limited resources. I felt like I had the ability to be greater. Many people share this view, not just me. Many people share this view of themselves, but constantly struggle to keep that hope alive amidst the difficulty of bringing a thought or belief into reality. Now, now I, just like many other people, I'm in, the, I'm in the process of reordering my life. I've worked a consistent nine to five since I got married in 2010. I grew up sort of like as an aloof musician, a guitar player. You know, I didn't like routine. I, I, I wouldn't keep a job. I would be quick to quit a job if I felt like it was impeding my freedom. However, you know, as you get older, you become more mature. And when I wanted to support a family, I buckled down and got a good job. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a consistent, predictable job. However, people that are goal setters and thrive off being motivated by their internal gifts, setting into a routine without working towards personal object objectives apart from the job can be at times detrimental. And this desire to reset my motivation and focus, I decided to look in the Bible to draw truths that would help me obtain my goals. My goal is simply to break out of the prison of self-defeat. What I'm doing right now is an exercise in me breaking out of that prison. That's just a sidebar. Now, for me, self-defeat is a prison consisting of four walls. These four walls are not nameless, but they have very familiar names on each wall. The names of the four walls, for me, the past, number one. Number two, routine. Number three, 
habits. And number four, negativity. Now I'm going to start with the past. Now from a Christian perspective, the very definition of being, quote, saved is being delivered. Deliverance is a present. It is a gift from God to all those that receive Christ's spirit into their hearts. But how can a Christian be saved but not delivered? How can someone that should be free dwell in a cell of self-defeat? Well, one of the reasons is the inescapability of the past. The past is not the present. But if we live in the past, it becomes our reality. It becomes our present and causes an individual to forfeit the present which is, as I said before, a gift from God. The present right now is freedom, but the past is what we used to be. When we are tempted with who we used to be. It is through an image most times of the past, a memory, a thought. Coincidence? I think not. The past creeps into our present and brings forth bondage. Now, I had to begin to train myself, and I'm, I'm still in the process of doing so, to live in the present. How is that even possible? Well, I found that if I have received my freedom from Christ, that I must keep his word at the forefront of my mind as a defense against the attacks of my past. I hope you follow me. First Corinthians 5 and 17 says, if any man be in Christ, any man or woman be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, in order for me to go forward, I must not only read this, but believe it. It must be used as a weapon of faith against the demons of my past. When we study scripture, we are not supposed to study in order to beat an atheist over the head with the Bible. But it is to build up our mental, emotional system of defense against the forces that seek to surround us in a cell of self-defeat. In order that we would not achieve our purpose in life, achieving divine purpose always benefits others and makes the world better. A reminder of a scripture that says, take heed to yourself and the doctrine, for in doing so thou shalt save thyself and those that hear thee. That was Paul talking to his young understudy, Timothy. Now, one thing we must do in order to defeat the past is to face the past. Now, many times we don't want to face the past. Sometimes we must have a dialogue that settles the past. There are times that we must admit to the failures of the past, not to be guilted by them, but in order to close the door on an issue or experience. Sometimes we must even forgive others in our past. Other times we must forgive ourselves for our past. In the book of John, the fourth chapter, Jesus meets a woman at the well. She's a woman of Samaria. The Jews did not have interactions with the Samaritans. Now, if you, if you know the history of the Samaritans, when the children of Israel were exiled into captivity into Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar sent his own people, an Chaldean nation, into Israel to learn the religion, to live there, to keep the land occupied. Now, these people stayed there for centuries and years after years. They adopted the religion of the Jews, but they were not Jews by blood. And they were known as the Samaritans. Now, they believed that they had the true manifestation of the law of God. The Jews, knowing that these were not full-blooded Jews, that they were a mixture, a mixed breed of, of Jews and Chaldeans, fought vigorously against these people. And they had 
sort of like a disagreement. They didn't like each other. Uh, so Jesus meets this woman who is a Samaritan. So it's, you know, it's countercultural for him to even be dealing with her. But what does Jesus do? He strikes up a conversation with her. And, and that conversation truly stuns her. And Jesus begins to tell her about her own life, of course, because he was a prophet. Uh, but, of course, he was more than a prophet. Now, of course, she's amazed by this and comes to the conclusion that he is a prophet. One thing that is notable is that this woman came to the well at a time not at all seen as the common time for a woman to come to draw water. She came in seclusion. Now, many people speculate that what Jesus later revealed about her life was the reason why she was such a secluded person. He revealed to her that she had five husbands and that the man she was currently with was not hers. Now, he didn't reveal this to shame her, but he addressed something about her that needed to be addressed about her past. Now, what could five husbands mean to us? Now, let's look at marriage. Marriage represents commitment, a vow, a promise. Now, how can we apply that to ourselves? Many times we make vows that we cannot keep. We begin endeavors that we give up on. Our biggest consistency at times is our ever-present inconsistency. For this woman, the issue was five marriages. Jesus brings up the past in order to clear her from her past. He deals with her despite her past. He gives her hope despite her past. This causes her to drop her water pot. The water pot is a representation of the past. She dropped it and ran to the city, the public square. She ran out of the cell of self-defeat and ran to the city to preach that the Messiah had arrived. Now, Jesus was awesome and that he set out to break cultural norms. He sent a woman to preach for him, which completely defied it completely defied the, the tradition of the time. A new routine. The water pot that she dropped represented the past as well as it signifies routine. A routine that keeps us in a mundane place is not a good routine. Routines that edify us and build toward a greater future should be upheld. Routines that cause us to forget our true purpose or that slowly drain all of our motivation to plan and develop as a person, both naturally and spiritually, is toxic. In attempting to reorder my life, I realized that my priorities must be reorganized. Our priorities are revealed in our routine. Our routine says what we deem important and what we don't. It says what we love and what we don't love as much. When a married couple truly loves each other, it would seem that a routine that they would have to, to be regularly is to express love. When a married couple does not like each other, a routine for them would most likely be that which demonstrates their disdain for each other. One scripture that I will employ to break out of a negative routine is Mark 1 and 35. It simply says that Jesus rolls up a great while before day in order to pray. Now, why is this important? Well, a routine of early morning prayer has always caused great progress in my life. Times in my life that I consistently had prayer time 
early in the morning as a first priority, I find that I am motivated throughout my day. I'm calm. I'm not nervous or over anxious. I'm not taken easily by temptations that rob me of my peace. Jesus, by all intents and purposes, was the most powerful man to ever walk the earth. But yet he had a priority to wake up early to pray. Something to think about. Before he would heal, before he would cast out demons, before he would pray. All of the great things Jesus did in his days was motivated by an early morning prayer time. Prayer and modern meditation are not the same. Prayer, on one hand, is communication with God. Meditation is an emptying of oneself. They say it's setting yourself on nothing. You become empty. But biblical meditation is explained in Psalms 1 and 2. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law does he meditate day and night. Biblical prayer meditation is a setting oneself on the ways, laws, and word of God. And focusing on them so that they become a reality and a routine in our thinking. Ordering our lives to a foundation of prayer and meditation can and will break the routine that impedes our progress and will birth in us a zeal to be great. It will also give us the grace to not get burnt out. Jesus many times could not even eat in peace or do anything privately because he was constantly being bombarded with people seeking his help. Now when we begin to walk in our purpose, people will seek us out. And it would be easy to get frustrated and tired with the constant demand. But secluded prayer will refuel the soul with the source of life. Breaking bad habits. What often keeps us in a routine of failure is an inability to break bad habits. Whether it be spending habits, habits of doubt, low self-esteem, a bad temper habit. Whatever it may be, habits are hard to break. I'm sure you would agree with me. Breaking a bad habit steeped in our routine is easier said than done. But in order to live a new life rooted in our purpose, they must be broken. I'm thinking about the athlete. He, he's the perfect example. Let's talk about the basketball star that develops a spending habit. All of the money in the world cannot suffice that habit. When his playing days are over and the checks stop flowing, He'll become a normal person again, struggling from paycheck to paycheck. Because regardless of the advantageous circumstance he was in as an enriched professional athlete, he had a bad habit that was a link to the past and the source of a negative routine. In order for habits to be broken, they must be replaced with better ones. Mark 5, there was a man that met Jesus after he and his disciples landed on the shore after a horrific storm. This man was deranged and he had the habit of dwelling among the tombs in the graveyard. He had the habit of being a destructive force in the town of Gadara. But when he saw Jesus, he did something that would forever replace his destructive habit. You know what it is? He worshiped. Worship is habit forming. When we worship, and what we worship will determine the outcome of our lives. And make no mistake about it now, everyone worships. There are people that worship their sports team. There are men that worship women. There are women that worship men. 
however many computations or variations you want to come up with of that last scenario, the point is the same. If we truly believe that there is a God, then God is the symbol of all power and authority. In other words, everything comes from Him. All of our success flows from Him. In order to be successful, then we must worship God. We must forsake the worship of all others, including the almighty dollar. Disconnecting the lines of negativity. Negativity is that electrical current that strikes an individual and makes them an enemy of their own success and future. Negativity is a way by which we sabotage ourselves from blessings. I can't. Why me? I say, you can. Why not you? This is the enemy within. How do we sever ourselves from something so connected to our psyche? For many, negativity is an impulsive habit. It's a routine that seems to be like Teflon. I want to attest to the fact that negativity can be overcome. It is overcome by a forsaking of pride, a persistence toward deliverance, and a knowledge of a name. What's recalled to my mind is the story of Jesus and a blind man named Bartimaeus. This man, Bartimaeus, was a blind man that hung in the city gates of Jericho. As Jesus passed by the city, the man heard the commotion of the people. You know, because everywhere Jesus went, there was a commotion because people had needs and Jesus was able to meet those needs. He inquired of the people that were around him as to what was the meaning of the noise. When he was notified that it was Jesus in the vicinity, he began to cry out to Jesus with a loud voice. Now, this angered the people around him for some reason. I guess if you don't have a dire need, you cannot understand the methods and means of people that do. Negativity was represented in the onlookers commanding the blind man to shut up. They wanted him to quit crying, quit pursuing Jesus. This is how our mind speaks to us, the negativity. Stop seeking, stop trying, stop trying to live right, stop trying to do better, stop trying to pursue a career, stop trying, quit what you're doing. Don't follow after Jesus. It's not real. It can't help you. You'll always be like this. This is the negativity. It was represented in the people that were around him seeking to hinder him from his own deliverance simply because they could not understand his need. People are not going to always understand the need that you have. And because people are not going to understand the need that you have, they're not going to understand the means by which you pursue to, to satisfy those needs that you have. A desperate person that has a desperate need is going to act desperate. But when you get desperate for God, it reaps great rewards. Now, he didn't let this stop him. He kept calling until he got the attention of the one that could heal him. Negativity does not want you to pursue your sight. It does not want you to be free because misery loves company. He called the name of Jesus. This name has been testified by millions upon millions to be a name that has power unlike any other. Now, if you're skeptical about this, then just do some research. Do honest, critical research. Talk to people that believe in the name of Jesus. Look at their sincerity. Look at the truthfulness of their stories and their accounts. 
and, and you will have to reconsider. You will have to look at it in a different light. As a skeptic, you will have to begin to take note and to seek it out to see what these things are, to see if they're really true. And this is it's, it's an exciting time for me. And that I'm on a journey to exit myself, self-defeat. And I want you to continue on that same journey. And I'm going to be chronicling my journey of this process from time to time. I want to update you. I want to let you know how I'm doing. And I want you to subscribe. I want you to, to, to keep up with me and tell me how you're doing. If this is benefiting you, I want you to let me know. Uh, because it's all about progress. And it's all about progress in Christ. My name is Aaron Owens, and this is the Truth Proclaimed Podcast. And remember, faith is based on facts. It's never based on mysticism, but faith is based on facts. Be blessed. God bless you. And I'll talk to you soon.